Welcome to Mission Gathering Charlotte. This community is for you. If you grew up in the church and have lost your faith, if you are in a moment of deconstruction or reconstruction, if scandals, politics, and hate have led you into doubt, if the stories of this faith raise doubts and curiosity in you, our time together is not about trying to fix you. You are not broken. Our journey in this life is not about erasing doubt but embracing them. For it is only on the darkest night we can see the stars. Life's journey is hard enough so we don't think you should have to make this journey alone. So if you are Asian, Latinx, Black or White, Indigenous, if you are male or female, trans or non-binary, if you are three days old, 30 years old or 103 years old, if you've never stepped foot in a church, or if you are Buddhist, Roman Catholic, agnostic or are a lifelong evangelical, if you are single, married, divorced, separated or partnered, if you are straight, gay, lesbian, asexual or bisexual, if you are a Republican, Democrat, independent, socialist or not registered to vote, if you have or had addictions, phobias, abortions or a criminal record, if you own your home, rent, live with your parents or are homeless, if you are fully abled, disabled or a person of differing abilities, you are welcome to join us on this journey to share our sacred meal at the Table of Grace. Happy Sunday and welcome one and all. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss the terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all of your possessions can be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, the Common English Bible translation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if anyone ever tells you to read the Bible literally, you have this passage to use when they bring that up. It's passages like these that cause me to ask my friend and our theologian in residence here at Mission Gathering Charlotte, Dr. Shea Watts, to teach our Secrets of the Gospel course that's coming up here in, in just over a week. Because passages like this are hard to understand. If we read the translations of these Bible passages out of context and outside of their original languages, then we are led to believe that Jesus wants us to hate our families, our friends, our children, and even our own lives. But as I suspect you've already guessed, that's not really what's going on here in this passage. You see, in first century Palestine, family was everything. 
Family was where you got your wealth. Family was where you got your security. Family is literally how you ate or didn't eat. It was where honor and shame was to be held and found. It was through your connection to your family. And each person that the writer of this gospel was writing to would have been socially conditioned to understand what Jesus was talking about. Because that's how their families existed. That's how their towns and villages all acted. Was that family was everything. And Jesus has attracted a new crowd of, of would-be followers. And so Jesus is being straight up with them. Trying to tell them what it's going to cost them to follow him. And trying to allow them to give their consent to what they're, they're going to have to do if they choose to stay with this movement that Jesus is building. Because you see, they would have come into this following Jesus around with assumptions about who the Messiah would be. They would have thought that maybe this Messiah would be the warrior king that people had been waiting for, who would, would bring, bring about them. better status for them, more money, more honor, would, would have their families be proud of them. But Jesus, much as he is for us today, is beyond their expectations. You see, Jesus didn't come from honorable backgrounds. He was a child born before his teenage mother was married to his stepfather. He worked as an itinerant worker, wandering from place to place, doing odd jobs. He was from probably the furthest away from the seat of power that you could get and still be a part of the group. He's from one of those hick towns, one of those country backwaters. Jesus doesn't come from a place of honor. Jesus comes from a place of utter humility. In an honor and shame culture, he would have been a nobody. So Jesus knows what shame is. Jesus knows what it's like to be an outsider, to be a cast-aside person. And now, Jesus is journeying to the cross. The cross is more than just a form of execution. It, it is shame and horror made manifest. Rome didn't crucify people just to kill them. Rome used crucifixion to socially kill people as well. But in that shame, in that self-emptying, and that ultimate act of solidarity on the cross, there's a transformative act that happens there that transports us through a portal from this reality, from our limited scope, into the deepest reality that is. But the price of transportation through that portal, it's pretty high. It comes at a cost. Jesus wants them to know what that cost is, that very real reality for them. That following him will make their families be ashamed of them. That following him will have them rejected by those who used to hold them in esteem. That by following him, they might literally lose their lives. Now, you and I don't live with those fears. And we don't necessarily have those consequences. So what do these words mean to us? Well, society hasn't changed much. You see, we're all still socially conditioned. We are imprinted. From the time we are born, we learn how it is that we're supposed to act, who we're supposed to be, who the good people are, who the bad people are, and what's our place in all of this. In America, we've been conditioned to see ourselves as individuals who are still beholden to the larger cultural narratives of supremacy. White supremacy, male supremacy, heterosis, patriarchy. All of these things are things that are socially conditioned 
into us. And the pull of our peers and our family and our jobs and our careers and our social groups, all of those things keep us within the confines of that social conditioning. And for, for a lot of folks, it works, right? The social conditioning works because if we follow the systems, we can expect it, to varying degrees, at least a predictable amount of safety, security, and success. And that force becomes so strong within us that whether we are people who are staunchly defending that system, the people who rail against anything that would ever change, or the people who are trying to get out of that system by rebelling, we still get stuck within the game. We still get stuck within the rules that were set by society. And we just never really seem to break free of them. Father Richard Rohr likes to call this the crab in the bucket syndrome. I don't know if you've ever seen a bucket of crabs, but I used to work in a butcher shop and I used to have to get blue crabs in, live blue crabs. You don't really need a lid when you have a bucket of crabs because those crabs at the top, as soon as they start to get over the side of the bucket, another crab from the bottom reaches up and pulls them back down. They never seem to be able to escape, even when freedom is so close. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. All of the ways that we understand morality, our own spirituality, of being spiritually correct or incorrect, all of our understanding of religion and what it does for us, our sense of right or wrong in this world, comes from our connection and our relationship to those sources of conditioning and how we fit within that system and its parameters. It limits our view of ourselves and our view of others in ways that, in ways that shrink the truth of the deepest reality into minuscule glimpses of it from only our lived experiences and from what people in power tell us. Our, our scope gets limited by what's socially acceptable and our presuppositions of what reality is. So to follow Jesus, to really follow Jesus, to do what Jesus is asking those who would follow to do, it seems like we have to get out of the bucket. And as Father Rohr says, Jesus uses quite strong words to push us out of the family nest and to name a necessary suffering at the most personal counterintuitive and sentimental level possible. Now, I'm not advocating that you need to physically suffer. And I'm not saying that you should go after listening to this broadcast and, and sell everything that you have and give it away and live an impoverished life on the streets. But breaking out of that bucket, moving into the deeper reality means taking up a cross, your cross is an emptying of all of the things that ego grips so tightly to. It keeps us in fear of ever stepping out of line or changing who we are in any way, lest we be judged by the society around us. We have to let go of what people think. And we also have to let go of who we think we are. Getting out of the bucket is a journey, a deep journey into the self, into the deepest self. We get there through inner work of meditation, contemplation, prayer, service to others, and simply remembering to breathe. The fascist fighter and pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
who chose to return to Nazi Germany to stand up against that regime instead of safety in America, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he had this to say about getting out of that bucket. Each is called alone. Each must follow alone. Out of fear of such aloneness, a human being seeks safety in the people and things around them. Individuals suddenly discover all their responsibilities and cling to them. Christ intends to make the human being lonely. As individuals, they should see nothing except him who called them. See, that word that Jesus used that we get tripped up on, that word hate, is the Greek word miseo. And this word used in its proper context isn't about violence and anger as the word that we say hate is. That word is about reprioritizing. It's a word that was used in philosophy or or legal terms in Greek about judgments that you would make. This comes first or this comes last. And so what Jesus is saying is that you have to reprioritize everything. You have to see things in a new way. All of those things that you thought gave you meaning, gave you status, gave you power, gave you safety, gave you security, those things have to get to the back of the line. Because now, if you will follow Jesus, if you are willing to take up your cross, Jesus becomes the priority. He says, follow me. Do what I do. Act like I act. Become more and more like me so you can become more and more like yourself. Think about, think about the suffering that you already are going through. All of that anxiety in your life. All of that pain and struggle to try and be more than who society tells you you are. To prove to others that they were wrong about you. Or to prove to yourself that those voices in your head are liars. You keep doing it through the same thing after same thing after repeating the same actions. The definition of insanity and getting the same results. But what if you could die to that? What if that could be over at some point? Let it all go and learn to just be here now. Be in this moment. Just be yourself. Your truest self. Your deepest self. There will be no more posturing. No more checking the fit for Instagram. No more worrying about the opinions of so many people whose opinions don't really matter. Just turning yourself over to the becoming. What if you could fall rapturously into the God-given belovedness that is your birthright? People who can do this, people who have done this, people who strive for this are people who are willing to take on the pain that comes with ego death. To those who can stick with it, to them the world becomes their family. Life becomes a gift, even the painful parts of it, all of it. A gift. But you have to push through. You have to be willing to take that journey. That's the cost of following Jesus. Is that it's going to change you. And if it doesn't change you, if it just makes you the same as everyone around you, and if it just makes it feel like some sort of social club to belong to, it's not following Jesus. 
Maybe one day it'll get there, but it's not there yet. That's what the cost is, though, is that what you think is your life, that you'll lose that. And through that portal of pain and shame of the cross, something new will be born again within you. I'm not talking about in one moment of high emotions, of walking down an aisle and and praying magic words. No. It's in lots of small moments. Over and over and over again. That change happens in the ever-passing now. So mission gathering and friends. May you learn to die a thousand deaths to the false self until one day, slowly but surely, you find the glory that you always were. May it be so. Amen. Hey, friends. This is our portion of giving. And we ask you to give not because you're obligated to, not because you have to. It's not going to help you reach enlightenment or heaven or whatever you want to call it faster than anybody else. But we ask you to give because this is our labor of love. This is what we do to help each other move further down the road. This is what we do to see justice, which Cornell West tells us is what love looks like in public. This is what we do for each other. And I get it, the school year's back, times are tight, but we need your help. So maybe today you could give $20, maybe give $30, maybe you can give $1. Maybe you can't give any money at all, but maybe you could share this broadcast with your friends. Maybe you could go out and promote what we're doing here, let people know what's going on. Or maybe the only gift you have is your presence. And even for that, we're thankful. Because the changing of ourselves and the changing of this world begins with us. So if you want to help continue that mission, you can give through our Cash App, our Venmo. You can even go to mgclt.com backslash give and sign up for a recurring gift, which helps us budget. It lets us know how much money we have to give our neighbors in need, how much money we have to do repairs to our facilities that help kids keep out of jail, that help artists produce amazing works of art, that help us heal our city. But for your gifts, whatever they are, however you can give, thank you. I want to offer this prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious, loving God, You have need for nothing. But you've given us the gift to share our resources for mutual aid, for the benefit of your church, for the benefit of our communities, and to remind us that this is a world of abundance. From your abundance, we receive gifts which flow back out through us so that we may be a light in this world, that we may be a different economy to the ones destroying our planet. For these gifts we give you thanks, we dedicate them to your service. 
And we ask you, be with all who are present. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.